Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table, discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. That's right. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with each other. And Aaron, you're up this Mm -hmm, week. Surprise, mm -hmm. surprise. What are you bringing to the table today? Well, um, today I'm bringing a documentary that was made uh, in observance of the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called King in the Wilderness, uh, and it features interviews from Southern Christian Leadership Conference staff members, uh, including Jesse Jackson, Marion Wright Edelman, uh, C.T. Vivian, and Clarence Jones. Um, Harry Belafonte is also interviewed Mm -hmm. as he was a friend of of Dr. King's. and it's a, so it's a wide variety of people coming together who knew him personally reflecting on their own experiences with him, uh, what he was going through sp- specifically in the last two years of his life. Yes. Um, and there's so much in this part of his history that I think doesn't get told as much. Yeah. Um, especially the parts about, you know, he goes to Los Angeles in response to rebellions there. And, uh, you know, there's a, a part of the. Uh, documentary where he goes to Chicago um, to do some work in striving for economic equality for people there. Yep. Um, and then there's all these other pieces too. There's a march in, Wis- in Mississippi in response to James Meredith being shot during his own march, which was for um, black people getting registered to vote. To vote right. uh, but also uh, somebody described it as a march against fear, mm, um, the fear yes. of violence that was present in Mississippi specifically against black people. Right. Um, and then he spoke out against uh, the war in Vietnam, um, you know, the poor people's campaign that he was organizing uh, in the last year or so of his life. Yeah. Uh, maybe less than, actually. Uh, and then going to Memphis to support the sanitation worker strikes uh, there, um, which is where he was killed. Um, and this was such a, I think, it was so good. Yes. Um <laughs> It was so great to learn more from Dr. King with the archival footage that was also interspersed, yep. um, which I, I have a couple uh, things I, I wrote down as he said them because I was like, I think I've heard you say this before, but the way that it, the context in which it happened was so moving and powerful. Right. Um, but also to hear from the people who are around him, who are supporting um, the work that the SCLC was doing. It was just it was just also great. Uh, yeah. And also to see these little moments of like joy and laughter and yeah. stuff that they also talked about that was showed a little bit more of his personality beyond, I think, what we kind of collectively know about his work. Yes. Um, and his stature and his so, yeah, just I, gravitas. Yeah. It just was it was so, you know, in so many ways, it's so nice to hear all that, see all that and learn so much about what that last two years looked like that right. was um, where the country really kind of turned against him yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, so what, what stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing and all of that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, it just was such a great, like, uh, and comprehensive, I think, look into really um, so much of his life and his legacy. But as you said, like, I think there was this this other lens that there this lens that they took right in mm-hmm. this perspective uh that was really eye-opening to me and 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 fresh for me and and new for me right really focusing on sort of the the last two years of his life and all of these 
amazing people that he was surrounded by, right? Like friends and family and, and his comrades in, in the work that he did. I think for me, there's so much about Dr. King and his work, his legacy that we know about at this point, you know, and we've had conversations here on the podcast about yeah, definitely. Dr. King and his work, but um, you know, this opportunity uh, in this film that this film provided us was just incredible to me. Um, and, and I enjoyed it so much. So I would definitely encourage folks to, to watch it. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the things I just really enjoyed and you kind of spoke to this was this idea that it continued, it showed us, um, the person that he was, right, yeah. in, a, in a way, right, behind mm-hmm. sort of the the Dr. King that we know that stood on at podiums um, and in front of large crowds and delivered these moving speeches and fought for, for civil rights and injustice. I mean, it just was yeah. incredible to see the man behind some of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I appreciated and, and you said what stuck out to me, like, sort of related to that is just this idea of learning about the last two years of his life and, and just seeing sort of how tired he was at moments. Yeah. Right. Um, him and, and all the people and all the people like, around yeah. him, right? Like they talked really sort of, I think they were really vulnerable about um, and honest about how tired they all were and how he was. Um, and I appreciated hearing that because I can't mm-hmm. even fathom <laughs> living the life and doing the work in the right. way that he did it, especially, yeah. you know, with the FBI, FBI on his back. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, despite all of that, he continued to work. He continued to fight for justice. He continued to believe in the idea that life could and would be better for black people in this country. Right. Yeah. Um, and he did that even when he was exhausted, even yeah. when he wasn't sure that he was going to make it right. Yeah. Um, I think he saw the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think there's so much to be proud of and so much to learn from that part of his life and his story and, and the reality of the stage of his life that he was in at that time that really, I think can be such an inspiration to all of us in our, in our continued work and what we're doing today. Right. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, well, one of the things that stuck out to me that you said was, you know, the, the piece about him being so tired and the, and the people around him being so tired, his physician suggested that he go get counseling. Yes. Um, which one of his advisors was like, you can't, can't do that. Yeah. Um, and as he was explaining that, I had a reaction. I was like, well, why, why not? As soon as, he started doing that as soon as he would start doing that, the FBI would get a hold of it. Yep. And then use whatever he might say in those moments, um, against him in some way. And then like it would go public. And so there's all these, um, ways that the surveillance of the FBI, which is an episode that we talked about. Um, we talked about that, that kind of component of, of the life that he, stuck with i guess of being surveilled by the fbi constantly but like what that the toll that that also took Mm -hmm. right personally where he couldn't he felt like he couldn't get help yes when he needed it right um, yeah when he did need it so um yeah i think so uh that part really stuck out to me but i also want to talk a little bit about chicago because i don't think i knew almost anything about this i don't i don't remember hearing anything about it yes Uh, and if i did it was like a little story here and there but um To summarize it a little bit, he and the whole staff of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference moved their offices to Chicago. Um, They lived and were headquartered in this building that they said didn't have heat. Right. Um, In Chicago. In Chicago. And they moved there in the winter. So um, 
And the people from the neighborhood knew that he was there, knew that the SCLC staff were all there, and they would just come to his apartment, just kind of talk to him. Yep. Um, and he would welcome sort of them. Welcome them. Yeah. Talk to them, get to know them. Um, and, you know, they eventually would start sharing things that are like not going well in the neighborhood. And so many of them said they didn't have heat, mm. their furnaces weren't working. Mm. And it ended up being, I think they said 12 below zero yeah. real soon after they moved up there. Right. So the the staff and, and Dr. King got together money for coal um, to get the furnaces going in their neighboring buildings, um, which uh, there's this like, uh, I guess footage or was it image? Footage. It was footage, I thought, right? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Everything's blurring a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, Either way. Either way, but it's Dr. King shoveling coal like into a sleeves into rolled basement. Up. Yeah, yep. sleeves rolled up. And um, and the, the other staff members that we see interviewed in the film, some of them are like in that photo too. Yeah. Um, which is, I don't know, just such a a great example of like organizing also being really small sometimes. Yes. Um, and that, how much did that make a difference for the people in that neighborhood? Yeah. Um, just to be able to pay a little bit of money for coal. Um, or how, you know, however much. Um, but then the, the organizer that they were doing also came up against the daily machine, yes. um, which was a process in the city of Chicago where people got positions or jobs with the city by delivering a certain number of votes for mayor daily. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, the, the SCLC showing up and starting to do work, rubbed a bunch of people the wrong way, including black leaders in the city, which was new for Dr. King and for his, um, you know, uh, associates his his staff yeah to have um, that kind of resistance right right yeah. um which is you know i forget who said it it might somebody said this was brand new for us we hadn't seen this in um you know selma we hadn't seen this anywhere across the south yeah and now here we were in chicago and we were getting resistance from um from other black leaders in the city um and then the last piece i wanted to mention was this this uh the marches that they led in chicago yeah and specifically the what stood out to me was the response to those marches, mm. particularly from all of the white folks who showed up. Yeah. Um, where there's thousands and thousands of white people, it looks like from the footage, who showed up in like really vehement hatred and reaction to yes. their presence um, and their demand for some housing equality. Yes. Right. Cause they had, um, sent black folks into real estate agencies. Um, and when the black folks were there, they were like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. We don't have anything listed. Mm. Then they'd send white staff members from the SCLEs, LC and, and it's all of a sudden, Oh yeah. What kind of, what kind of yeah, take a look, you know, yeah. <laughs> listing are you looking for? What can we help you out with? And so they knew that this was happening and they wanted to expose it. And, um, it was a really big reaction. Um, from the white folks in Chicago. And, you know, we know that racism in the North uh, looks a little di- bit different, um, both then and now. Yeah. Um, but it's just as violent. Um, it's just a little bit sort of hidden under the surface some. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't as, um, you know, transparently obvious all the time. Right. Absolutely. Um, and these, you know, you see these folks, white folks in the footage in these marches used these marches as an excuse to bring that vitriol out yes. into view and they waved swastikas and confederate battle flags and shouted slurs and um you know created other slogans um too and you could just 
feel the tension. I could feel the tension of those marches through the screen. Yes. Um, and watching that footage back. And so that was also, uh, there was that moment of tension um, also that sort of played out throughout the film. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm so glad you brought up Chicago and you're right. There's so much of his work and time there that I, I don't think I knew so much about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm glad that the film and the, the film is almost what, two hours, maybe a little, yeah, just what, a little under. Um, and so there is a lot of, um, time and attention spent to, uh, spent on his work there. Um, and so that was really illuminating to learn about and to see. And, um, I, I appreciate the work that they, that they did there. Yeah. Uh, on behalf of black folks and and trying to sort of advance, you know, these these issues. Um, the other thing that you said that, you know, really th- there was a huge part of this film that just there were lots of times in the film, I should say, that I got a little bit emotional. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like it's hard because I know that this existed. I know that this happened. Right. But yeah. like, you know, to see it play out, to see the footage, to see the images, you know, just this idea of the hate and the hatred that they experienced, Dr. King and, and his comrades experienced, right, fighting for civil rights and justice um, in Chicago, in Mississippi, oh, really everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Like you said, the racial slurs, the violence inflicted. I mean, yeah. someone spit on Dr. King, which I just, yeah. it's one of those things. I just, I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the to see the things that were written on posters and signs. Yeah. You know, it's just tough to think about and to put yourself, like to put myself in that situation and to be in a place in a space where you would see that. It's like, I, I would feel so degraded and so awful. Yeah. And, ju- you know, and so, so it's just really tough to think about the fact that they went through that, that they experienced that, 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 that kind of, level of hatred can exist in people right and you know you know i'm trying to sort of make sense of it right we talk here about like white supremacy we know that hatred is just this underbelly right of white supremacy and of all the manifestations of white white supremacy that we're experiencing even to this day um you know from the the individual level the the overt and covert ways that that happens all the way to what we just saw happen with um, someone's boy DeSantis, right? Um, yeah. And and the work that he's doing to sort of quote unquote fight wokeness in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Which is all just mm-hmm. bullshit, yep. right? And so that hatred, you know, was real and palpable and we see how it is embedded, unfortunately, right? In, in the yeah. soul of this country, right? Um, and so I just wanted to sort of name that as, you know, one reaction, or multiple reactions that I had throughout the film watching yeah. that and being really disturbed by it. But also, we talk all the time about how it's important to name the things that we see and what they really are, right? And, and you know, name it so that we can understand it as we continue this work. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you you know, you bring up the point about DeSantis. And um, I think at this point, his administration like we could dedicate our whole podcast to like responding to the the nonsense that he's doing yes you know i think about those images of the uh of the white people sort of counter protesting um dr king's march in chicago and i think about the ways that that kind of image would now maybe not be permitted to be viewed in like a florida classroom Yes, And I think about the ways that those images made me feel and like what my reflection is on it in my my own role in um, in the sort of, you know, long term sense of struggle. Yes. Um, 
and am I closer to like which side is it that I'm on that you know and what is it that I'm actively doing to be on the side that I say I want to be on yes um and if you can't if we can't have students in a classroom sort of struggle with some of those kinds of questions yeah right everybody's gonna only be on the side waving the swastikas and like that's how that's gonna go and that's what I think he's trying to create in Florida Um, and it's just a very specific case study for how you bury all this history um, and prevent people from being able to learn anything new to find a new path forward Um, oh man yeah we'll continue to talk about this for sure Um, yeah Well, so another part of the film that I wanted to talk about um, is something that Dr. King said that I think is just as true today as it was when he said it. Okay. Um, So he said, quote, ultimately, we are concerned about a guaranteed annual income. Mm. And the other thing I think it is very necessary to say is that everybody's on welfare in this country, whether it's for white people and rich, we call it uh, when it's for white people and rich, we call it subsidies. Suburbia was built by federally subsidized credits and the highways and expressways that take people out there. So I think we've got to see that when it comes to poor people, we call it welfare, handouts doled. But when it comes to rich people, we call it subsidies. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. It's all welfare. And that's so perfectly that's so perfectly said, Um, you know, our framing, the language we use for what wealthy white people receive. Yep. Um, it's not about it being a handout. It's a tax cut or it's a return on your investment in some mm-hmm. way. Um, and any kind of program we have for poor people is an entitlement or a handout. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about it in the context of the pandemic when we, you know, the country decided let's pay, like let's give people a, a bonus um, for unemployment because so many people will not be able to work. Right. Because so many businesses have to close yep. because of social distancing and how quickly that all wanted to be taken away mm-hmm. um, by people who called it an entitlement. Um, mm. All because they gave us $1,200 once, right? Like, yep. you know, that's um, nuts. So when we call something an entitlement, it it is supposed to mean that you haven't worked for it. You haven't earned it. Um, you're not, uh, y- your human dignity doesn't mean that you automatically deserve it. Yes. Right? Um, it's just, uh, yeah. But when it's for wealthy white people, it's invisible. We don't see it or talk about it in the same way. We don't talk about the economic impact it has on the budget in the same way. Yeah. We only talk about so-called entitlements. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a, a debate going on right now about the debt ceiling and, and oh, yeah. right, all that stuff. And they're talking about entitlements, mm-hmm. not about like basic human dignity for people who need health care provided because our, our country has chosen to have a system of health care uh, in which you have to have a job to have any kind of decent form of health care. Right. And even most jobs don't provide you with health care. So, right. you know, or as much as you need or, you know, right. the right kind of coverage. Absolutely. Um, so we created a system in which, you know, you have you have you create people who don't get what they need. And then when we find ways to then fill the gaps to provide people with the with what they need, we then shame them for it, call mm-hmm. it entitlements or call it handouts, mm. um, right? We see welfare for the wealthy as necessary expenses and welfare for the poor as drains on the budget. <sighs> yes, yes. Ah, preach on it. I, 
I'm so fascinated by all of that and sort of his ability to name those things for what they are. And you're right, like the ways in which that um, that those conditions still exist today and are mm-hmm. still at play today uh, is so wild and, and really so unfortunate. Um, so, yeah, he was doing some really incredible work there to to name that. And I think, you know, related to that sort of is this idea for me earlier in the film was um, talking about the conditions in which black people were living. And, you know, there was some tension between, you know, Dr. King really believed in nonviolence, right? And that being the path forward to redeem the soul of America and all of his sort of, all of his thinking around that was at the time really radical, right? And Mm -hmm. required radical organizing work um, that he did. But, you know, that was running alongside the fact that people were living in unfortunate conditions right um and that led to people rioting right Mm -hmm. um there was this part of the film and i should say like these conditions are things like were things like what unemployment right and lack of access to opportunities um poverty extreme poverty right Mm -hmm. the the police violence that black folks were experiencing and that was being inflicted upon them in their communities right um and so it it's you know it's it's unfortunate that people were living in those kinds of under those kinds of conditions, um, and it and it led to the decisions that they that they made right. I think it was Cleveland Sellers who was one of the program directors of the SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, who said that you know given those conditions, you know black people responded with whatever weapons they could find, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that struck me. Um, I think about it made me sort of reflect on, you know, other times in our country's history that we've seen that play out. And right. It made me immediately think about the parallels between that moment in our history right back in the 60s to what we saw in 2019 and 2020. Yeah. Right. Um, That black people had had enough. And in so many ways, lots of people had had enough Mm -hmm. uh, with police violence and brutality and the murders of black people for no reason. And so, um, yeah, the the thread of um, conditions and treatment of black people uh, in this film were, were fascinating for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those threads, you know, as you said, so much of it carries through to today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so good. Such a good film. Such a good film. Yeah. Well, I think let's, let's move. Let's talk about um, application. Okay. Um, you know, how, how is this connected to our, our everyday lives? Um, I think there are so many ways that you can apply <laughs> what Dr. King was doing in the final years of his life to our current reality, yes. right? As you, as you just talked about um, some. Um, and I talked about one with, you know, the way we talk about so-called entitlements. Absolutely. Um, I think recognizing and pushing against those narratives that say welfare is only for poor people is, is one way that we can apply this um, film and, and um, you know, Dr. King's work and legacy um, to our current day. Um, I also want to highlight two of the things that Dr. King said in this documentary that I think continues to apply to today. Okay. Um, so one of them is, what must be said is our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. Wow. And he said, I will continue to work against violence and riots with all my might, but it is just as important to work passionately and unrelentingly to get rid of the conditions that bring violence into being. Yes. And so I think we have to understand these rebellions or uprisings not as a pathology of a community or a moral failing of a community but as a result of conditions that are no longer tenable to people who deserve 
dignity and who are seeking dignity. Absolutely. And so, you know, um, they're the result of things like police violence against the community or the ways that communities are hung out to dry with no attention or investment or opportunity. Uh, and so police violence throughout history has usually been the spark um, of these, the catalyst of these moments of uprising or rebellion. Um, and usually the one or two things that we know that the police have, have caused in these places, right? It's, it's a, it's a catalyst, but you know, it doesn't, that those one or two moments aren't the totality of what's been happening either. Everybody else also has a story and has also um, been impacted in some way. Um, And it's, you know, I I should say it's not just police violence either. It's the, the sort of collective conditions um, of of a community. And so um, there's a a great book called America on fire um, by Elizabeth Hinton, um, where she goes through um, some of the history of, of lesser known uprisings Mm. um, and, what caused them or created them mm. uh, in those moments. And so, I would imagine there's some common threads, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and common experiences yep. that connect those um, uprisings. Indeed. Right? Uh, and, and the, the as you say, the catalyst of them. That, uh, that, my friend, was brilliant. I think it was a really sort of brilliant way to uh, um, name application based off of, you know, the last part of our conversation there for what it is. Um, I love that. Um, for Thank me, you. I've been thinking about Dr. King's thoughts on both the notion of struggle um, and also the interconnectedness of the evils that we face, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so at one point in the film, he talked about how for 10 or 12 years, the struggle, which in this case is, you know, the fight for civil rights and social justice was difficult and, and a true battle for decency and humanity, you know, and it then shifted to, you know, the struggle for what he called genuine equality. Right. Mm. And, and it just made me think about how the, the application of that is that we have to keep going, right? Like we yeah. have to keep fighting. We have to keep working towards the conditions um, and creating the world that we want to see for all of us. I think it can happen, right? Real change and real progress is possible, right? And it, But it just takes time, right? And we yeah. see from a film like this and through the work that he did and accomplished um, throughout his life, that it can happen and it does happen. Um, it's not to say that it isn't difficult, but you know, figuring out how we keep uh, sight of what's important, um, keeping sight of the end goal being this idea you talk dignity, right? He talked about mm-hmm. genuine equality. Um, I think is the way to get us to where we need to be. And he absolutely, his work and him as a leader are were a shining example of that for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think the the ways that he talked about the interconnectedness of the evils we face as being racism, poverty, and militarism. Yes. And that we can't get one without getting rid of the others. You got it. I think it was so, um, it's such a um, plain way to, to name it all. Yes. A direct way to name it all. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think those things all remain true today, and we can also weave in some other things. Oh, we have too. a lot more to weave in, yeah. don't we? Absolutely. Um. So, all right, let's talk about homework. All right. Um, you know, what, how are we going to continue to learn about this uh, after we leave our, our conversation today, wrap this conversation up? Um, so my homework is to learn more about the Poor People's Campaign that Dr. King and the SCLC were working on when he was murdered. Okay. Um, you know, I think the idea of a coalition of poor people working to change the conditions of poor working class people across the country is 
uh, what we need. It's yes. astonishing. Um, it's 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 uh, it's real movement work. And this is also something that's been revived by William Barber and Liz Theo Harris. Um, so this work continues today in many ways. Um, so I'd love to learn more about what that campaign was looking like back then. Um, cause it did continue after he yes. died. Yes. Um, and also what it's looking like today. I love um, that. Okay. Too. And the other thing I want to do is read The Radical King this year. Um, it's a book of Dr. King's writings and speeches, which has been edited and put together by Dr. Cornell West. The um, Dr. West. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna we're going to read this book and talk about it right here sometime this year. Um, so uh, get ready. That's, go, I, folks. It's, uh, I'm bringing it. it to the table <laughs> at some point in the year. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I cannot wait. Very good. Um, we'll do that. I, I, there's so much that we could do <laughs> when we get up from this table today. Um, one of the people that I was reminded of while watching this film was Stokely Carmichael. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he is one of the, uh, was one of the developers of the black power movement and really shifted some of the conversations within the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Uh, you know, he was chair of it for some time. And I think for me, watching some of the footage of him and Dr. King marching down in Mississippi, and, and literally it's, it's you know, f- footage from that. So you, you hear him talking, you hear them engaging, you hear yeah. Stokely's vision, you hear him go back and forth with Dr. King on what was the best path forward for, for civil rights. That conversation was so fascinating to me, mm-hmm. right? And to watch those two men, those two leaders engage in that way um, b- blew me away. So I, you know, I know some about Stokely Carmichael. I just want to learn more about him and his life mm-hmm. and his work and um, because I think um, it's important, right? I think it's important for us to continue to learn about all of our civil rights leaders and, and to see how their work, their legacy can continue to be helpful to us today. So um, yeah. that's just one thing of so much that we could do from this yeah. film for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that sounds like some good homework. Yes. Um, all right. Well, Damien, you are up next time. So what are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I am. All right. So for our next episode, I'm actually bringing two articles to the table for us. Uh, they were published in January in, in these times magazine. So you could go there to check them out. Uh, The first article is called There Were Only 12 Days Last Year When Police Didn't Kill Someone Mm. by Sharon Zhang. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the second piece is called After a Record Year for Police Violence, Is It Finally Time to Defund the Police Mm -hmm. Um, by Sonali Kolkatar. I might have said that last name incorrectly, so I apologize. Um, So obviously from these titles alone, you can see that they're connected, (laughs) right? So I thought it made sense for us to read them together. Um, and I think we're going to be able to have a really good conversation from these pieces. But I, I previewed them a little bit, and they've got, as many of these articles that we read do, have lots of great links in them. And one that stood out to me was there's a link to the website defundthepolice.org, which I don't think I had seen before, but it looks to be really rich in information, um, organizing efforts that are happening across the country, resources, um, things that are happening at the state and federal level. And so it just looks like an incredible website and resource. And so I think it'll be, it it most certainly will be a part of our conversation when we talk about these two articles. And um, I think there's a lot we can learn from it too. So uh, that's what I'm bringing to the table. Awesome. Sounds great. Um, You know, in terms of continuing to learn about all the ways that a lot of the conditions we were talking about in this film continue through to today. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. All right. Well, so with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask you to do, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating, a review, share our podcast with the people in your life. Uh, follow us on social media. Check us out uh, on YouTube. Sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>